0: Hello friends and welcome to the Keep Singing Podcast Postmortem edition. Or the uh post-mortem podcast keep singing edition. I haven't really decided which of these is more appropriate, but regardless, welcome. I am your host, Sunny, also known as Dynamic Symmetry on Tumblr and Twitter and various other places. And today I'm going to be talking about Season 8, Episode 11, Dead or Alive, or... And yes, I did just have to look that up, because no, I still don't remember what the name of these episodes fucking is. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I, you know, I really continue to like this season, is I think what I'll say first. Um, yeah, I just really, really liked this episode. There were some things about it that I didn't like, but honestly... The things about it that I didn't like, which I'll get to in a minute, weren't even really in the episode. They had to do with AMC. I was screaming about that some on Twitter and Tumblr. Um, So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, I have a bunch of thoughts. Before I do talk about them, though, I actually want to circle back around to last week and talk about that final exchange between Rick and Negan again, because, man, I loved it. I one of the things that happens when I live blog is that sometimes I actually miss stuff because I have a very hard time dividing my attention up. So I, I, I think there were some, there were some key parts of that exchange that I kind of missed. Let me reiterate, first of all, that I don't like Negan. Um, I, I just, I really don't. I don't think he's a very good character. I don't think he's meant to be a very good character per se. I think he's meant to be more a catalyst for action. But I, I, I want to say that it really struck me all over again. I, I had the I had the last episode rebroadcast on while I was waiting for the you know new episode to come on, and I, I happened to see that final exchange. That there have been a couple of moments where we have gotten a, a quick little flash of Negan as a character, as as he might be if he was more of the governor, you know, if he was being handled more of of kind of in the way the, the governor was, and last last. Uh, week, we really almost did get a little flash of Negan as a person. Now, I still think that that was kind of a shallow flash. I think that, you know, I still still don't feel like it went that deep. I, I think that they're trying to inject kind of an element of man pain regarding him losing his wife that I don't buy. I just don't think it's terribly creative or interesting. But, like, I did... God, there's... One of the things I said in my live blog last week is that what Negan was saying about it being Rick's fault because he wasn't there to stop Carl from doing something stupid, that that was wrong. And it was because, I mean, we we all know that Negan's wrong about Carl's choice, that it wasn't stupid, that it was the right choice, even if it did result in his death. Now, I'm sure there are viewers of the show who would disagree with that and actually do think that it was a stupid decision, but, or that it was, you know, written as a stupid decision. And I'm, not entirely unsympathetic to that view but I also think that um the the virtue in helping a stranger the virtue in risking your life to help a stranger is one of the things that this show is really clear about being in favor of and uh as a result of that you know I think that I think that the the statement that Carl died because of something stupid is just flat out wrong but I also think that a lot of what Negan was saying was actually kind of true um, I, you know, I've, I've talked before about how I don't think that Rick is a very good person. I also don't think he's a very good leader. Uh, I don't think he's a very good friend. I think that there are lots of ways in which he's not a very good partner. And he's, he is a very, at best, he's a flawed leader. And it's, it's not like I necessarily think that there's a lot of other people in Team Family who would be hugely better at it. All these people are kind of fucked up and making bad decisions. Maggie, arguably, I think, would be, you know, considerably better. Michonne would be better. But regardless, he's the leader, and he's the leader because a lot of other people, for the most part, other people are not stepping up to fill that role in the way that he is, and that's not me speaking poorly of them. It's just how the story is arranged. Um, I, I think the story is not necessarily presenting that as a good thing, whereas I think the comics are. But Rick is, the the idea that Rick has kind of failed his people, that's not incorrect. He kind of has. I don't think he's failed his people in the way that Negan is saying. Uh, You know, obviously, Rick should not have just caved and let Negan do whatever he wanted and let Negan, quote unquote, save them. But Rick has made some very bad choices. And those very bad choices have indirectly and directly resulted in the deaths of people he cares about. Negan was right about that. And... I think that one of the things that frustrates me so much about Negan is that Jeffrey Dean Morgan is a great actor. Like I love him. I I loved him on Supernatural, I loved him in Watchmen, I loved him in, you know, other stuff I've seen him in. And he's just so good. And I was very excited when he got cast because I was hoping they, they would pull a governor with Negan and they would, you know, make him a more interesting character. And I could not imagine somebody better to play him than Jeffrey Dean Morgan and to lend him, you know, the kind of the kind of asshole cocky thing that Negan has going on in the comics, but also inject some depth into him. And I do think that we get little flashes of what that would look like if, if Jeffrey Dean Morgan was able to do that more. And we got some of it last night. It was a wonderful little acting moment uh, from JDM and fucking neighbors, I don't know why they're honking. Anyway, uh, it's, he's, when he says, Jesus fucking Christ, did you guys hear that? You probably did. Somebody fell asleep on the horn. Anyway, um, he's he's genuinely upset about Carl. He really is. Um, the, the statement that that kid was the future, I loved that because, that was the argument against killing Carl. That was, that was the protest of Carl fans. Um, that, that has been kind of one of the themes of the show is that children have to be protected not just because it's intrinsically a good and worthwhile thing to protect the vulnerable, but because in a world like this, children are more important than they've ever been. We have to protect the next generation because the next generation is what's gonna keep us from getting wiped out. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily what Negan meant when he said that kid was the future, but what Negan was saying was very much in line with this show's position about generations and about about the relationship between children and their parents. You know, Negan on some level got that, and he was in alignment with the writers at that point, ethically and morally. He was speaking from their perspective to some degree. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating. I, I think that he was genuinely upset about Carl, but I also think, I, 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 this did not hit me as being super interesting at the time, but but going back and thinking about it now, it really does. When he says, I'm sorry to Rick, I mean, I can't really think of another time when he said that in that way. I'm sorry is not something that Negan says with any real genuineness It's the kind of thing that he might say, you know, in a sarcastic or ironic way. But, like, God, I, I just, I don't know, I don't know what to do with that moment. Because, you know, he, he turns it around and really uses it as an emotional cudgel on Rick at the very end of that little scene. Um, you know, he's, he really is berating Rick for the choices that he's made. And he's saying some really cruel stuff. It's stuff that I think that he believes. Uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I think that he's he's not just using it as a weapon to use it cynically as a weapon. I think that he really does believe the things that he's saying. But where he says, I'm sorry, I really think he meant that too. I think that his moment of dismay was genuine. And I think that that one little moment of an extended hand to Rick was genuine as well. And I'm not necessarily saying that that means that Negan is now a deep character, because I don't think he is. But yeah, God, it was so great. There there have been very few moments with Negan that I've absolutely loved, and I loved that moment. Uh, I loved it, and it also frustrated me all over again, because it really reminded me of what we might have gotten if Negan had been written differently. But, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I, 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 I loved that as kind of a tone setting for the dynamic of the rest of what this war is going to look like, because... You know that that was that was the establishment of how Rick is coming at this. That was him explicitly rejecting the stuff that Carl said, and um, you know, adopting his own dumbass, violent, just because he's angry Rick thing that you know he has going on most of the time. Oh, and and, and one more thing I want to say about um, the that kid was the future line. I mean, not not only not only was Negan speaking directly from the perspective of the of of the writers directly from the moral and ethical position of the writers but Rick's response to that was so interesting because Rick's response is the only future is one where you're dead and I mean that's that's enraging and heartbreaking and also extremely in character for Rick because at that moment, Negan's, in terms of, of alignment with the position that the writers are taking, Negan's position and Rick's position are completely reversed, um, at least on the surface, because, you know, Negan is, Negan is, is reaching toward a future. He's reaching toward a future with children. Now it's a dystopian future, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a hideous mirror image of what a really good future would be. It's not the not the vision of the future that Carl had. But Negan is reaching reaching toward a productive future in which things are growing and functioning. And you know, he he really does feel like, um, you know, that that is a a sustainable society that people can live in and have families in, and you know, and such as it is. And Negan is reaching for that. And Rick's response is utter nihilism. It's just about death. He's, he is stomping on Carl, like in his grave. It's, it's awful. Just, just the only future is one in which you're dead. All, all he sees in the future is death. All Rick sees in the future is death. All he cares about in the future is death. He's not looking beyond Negan's death. No, no, you know, I, on some level, he is, and we're gonna we're gonna see him addressing that future at some point, and I think that's gonna be a really crucial character moment for him. That's gonna kind of be, here's the end of the war. How do we move forward? Because, you know, go back to mercy, and I, I think that that's the question that's being posed in that episode. That that episode is reaching forward to the end of the war and kind of previewing these questions. But in that moment, Rick is just saying the only future is death. There's nothing beyond that, and and that's just horrible. <laughs> it's so Rick, and that's why I love it, oh Rick, he's, oh he's so terrible, yeah, okay, I, th- I think that's all I wanted to say about that, uh, but, but yeah, wow, it, if you only watched it once, go back and watch it again, um, I, I think it's worth seeing twice, I don't actually re-watch episodes very much these days for a variety of reasons, mostly to do with time, but yeah, it's, um, it's a thing, I think it's one of my favorite moments in the season so far, and I've had a fair number of favorite moments. I've I've really, again, I've really liked this season overall. I think the writing right now is extremely strong. And last night, uh, it was not a deviation from that. For the most part, I I really enjoyed last night. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump right into the one thing that I mentioned that I did not like. I, I don't know if it's just me. Um, I haven't like actually gone back and timed it, but Am, am I the only one who thinks that there are more ads now than there used to be they're 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 coming the ad blocks are coming more frequently and they are longer I I hate it I absolutely hate that it's you know it's a it's a small thing and it might seem like a, 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 a kind of a petty thing to fixate on but things like that matter because they break up the flow of the episode they break up you know building and falling tension they, they they break up the rhythm and pacing of the scenes they break up how the characters are moving through this world and, and how they're talking with each other and interacting with each other and 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 just events and plot beats and, and and all of that stuff that goes into a story is a process you know it's a story is not just a static thing that exists as this rock in the world you know a, a story is fluid. A story is linear. A story is, a story moves from one moment to the next as it's told. A story is alive. It's active. And to completely disrupt it at all of these points with advertising, I mean, it's just, it's obscene. I'm really offended on a deep level by it. It makes me really angry. If I, if I cared a little less. I mean, I would just DVR it and fucking watch it without the ads. Um, But then I would still have to keep pausing and fast forwarding. And that in itself is breaking up the story, the story flow. One of the things that I absolutely love about Netflix, about being able to watch shows on Netflix is you, and and, and you see this on premium cable too, but you, you see what these, you see what episodic serial storytelling looks like when it isn't broken up by advertising and it is wonderful. It it it's it's a completely different flow. It's a completely different feeling. It just it, it the narrative is is so much of a piece and it it it's so when it's written really well like like some of the best Marvel universe shows. Um, you know, some of the best episodes of Je- of Jessica Jones or Luke Cage. It's it's not disrupted it's smooth and it's elegant and it's really well done and then i go watch you know something like the walking dead and and it's just it's like half advertising and as somebody who really cares about how stories are told it offends me it makes me really pissed off and it makes me especially pissed off that like i said on tumblr and i think this yeah i was also yelling about this on twitter like You know, if you're selling this much advertising, I think that you can probably afford to pay Lauren Cohen what she wants to be paid. You know, just, just thinking about that. Whatever, I fucking hate AMC. I hate them so much, and I wish The Walking Dead was on Netflix like you would not believe. And you know, if, if they were on Netflix, they would probably have a better budget. You know, they'd probably actually have a budget that they could work with and that people would be paid fairly from. I don't expect them actually to move to Netflix, but I can sort of fantasize about it. Oh, God. All right. Let me, let me stop talking about that and talk about some stuff that makes me happy. So I, I really, I want to talk first about Daryl, I think. Um, I said last week that uh, Daryl has been kind of frustrating me. You know, in terms of his arc, how it's it's all kind of just been downhill and depressing, and he's just been. It's not just that he's kind of his his storyline's kind of gone flat, and it's not just that he's kind of spending all his time angry and sad. Again, again, if you've if you've read my fan fiction, if, fuck, if you've read my professional fiction, my my short stories, you know that angry and sad is like my jam, especially with my short fiction, my professional short fiction. Um, it's if if anything, my fan fiction is like cheerful and happy and and upbeat and my professional fiction is just nothing but sad and angry and and horrible and there's no happy endings and everything's just terrible So, so, so I have no problem with that in and of itself but partly it's just that we've had that with Daryl with no end in sight and also it's just that we haven't even really seen very much of him like anger and sadness works well provided you actually take some time to explore it you know, it's, provided you actually take some time to to look at it in terms of its depth, to look at it in terms of how did this person get here? How do they really feel about where they're at? What do they see as their future? If they even see a future, and if they don't see a future, then what does that mean for how they're behaving right now in their day-to-day? And we have so many possibilities regarding that for Daryl. We could do so much with him, and we haven't really seen any of that. I mean, Daryl's, Daryl's, kind of hardly been on screen and in in any really significant way and you know there have been there have been lengthy exceptions like The Cell which I thought which I The Cell was a great episode because it did that because it really it got deeper into Daryl's character and it got deeper into into how he feels about what he's going through and how he makes sense of it and the the good parts of him really wrestling with the terrible parts of him I mean in in The Cell he, he literally beats a guy to death I think it would be easy for somebody who just kind of casually watches the show to miss the significance of that. But Daryl beating a guy to death is incredibly significant and incredibly disturbing uh, for him. I mean, he can shoot people. He can even, you know, cut throats and stuff. But, but him literally beating a guy to death um, only a few days after watching one of his best friends beaten to death, that was horrifying. That was horrifying in a way that very few things on the show I've seen have been. But for the most part, we haven't gotten moments like that. There have been, you know, there was the moment with him and Maggie in the basement, and that was really good. And there was the scene with him going to visit Carol, and that was really good. And there have been other little, you know, snatches of stuff. But for the most part, it, it we just I haven't really been getting the kind of exploration of him that I would want. Now, that's kind of true of everybody. The, there's so many characters on the show right now. There's so much going on. Honestly, I think that most people are kind of getting short shrift we're just we're not seeing enough of anybody and i understand and I, I get it and the fact is that there's really no way to fix that without finding ways to get rid of some characters and honestly there's not really anybody on the show that i would like them to kill except you know negan and several key saviors but yeah it's 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 a problem for which i don't really see a solution and it's it's just kind of an all pervasive problem that's knitted into the show's fabric and I think we're just kind of stuck with it at least for now but what we did get a little bit of that last night and and it it made me happy it kind of made me remember why I love this character um he's he's still not my fave in the way that he used to be but I really do still love him very much and we we got little flashes of him in 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 some ways that I thought were really cool um his relationship with Tara uh, continues to really interest me it's partly because you know I there I kind of can't quite pin down the dynamic and I, I think I mean that in a good way it, it, it was unclear to me at several points who was restraining whom regarding Dwight like he because you know he at a couple of points he really seems to want to keep Dwight alive for the time being, but it's also pretty clear that once the war is over, he doesn't particularly care what happens to Dwight. And in fact, would be very, very happy to see Dwight dead. But also, you know, he's, he's screaming at Tara for letting him get away and letting him live and stuff. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated and interesting. And honestly, his relationship with Rosita is kind of interesting. I, I wish we were seeing more of that. Daryl's relationship with women, relationships with women in general interest me because I think that they're so different from his relationships with men in some pretty important ways. But yeah, his, his interactions with Tara were, were interesting. The the moment that really just stabbed me in the fucking heart was, uh, you know, when he's, when he's chewing Tara out for letting Dwight get away and he's, he's really screaming. Like we've, we've seen him kill people and, and we've, we've seen him behave really viciously violently. And, you know, we saw him, you know get into that stupid wrestling fight with rick that was funny and kind of i enjoyed it a lot because i enjoy any time that they're on screen doing anything together but it was also I mean, it was kind of stupid whatever the show gets stupid sometimes but but last night he was going off in a way that i don't think we've seen for a while not 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 at one of his friends and you know he's 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 yelling at her in a way that i mean I, a lot of people in our corner of the fandom uh, jump on stuff as, like, callbacks to Beth. I don't tend to do that. I think that for the most part, things that might look like callbacks aren't callbacks. I, I do think that callbacks happen frequently, but I don't think that a lot of the time that's what's going on. So I don't think this was a callback in, intentionally. But when he was yelling at Tara, um, you know, I, I was thinking about when he was yelling at Beth and Still, it it wasn't the same kind of rage and grief that that he was you know using when he was that he was feeling when he was yelling at Beth but in in terms of the tone of his voice and in terms of how in her face he was getting and how angry he was um it really it made me think of that and 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 in in, in the pitch of his voice it it made me think of that and you know then he stops and he looks at Judith, and um I think was it Tobin who was holding her um you know he's I don't, I don't think that necessarily Tobin was, like, afraid of him, but but Tobin was kind of... He was cradling Judith and kind of protecting her. And, you know, Daryl looks at this and just... It's like... He has... Daryl has, when he falls into these awful places, sometimes these moments where he suddenly turns around and sees himself and understands what he could become. You know? The, the first example of that that I think we really see that I love is when, in, in season two, when he's screaming at Carol. And... He doesn't have that kind of click moment while he's doing it. But I think it's pretty clear that later on he does kind of look at himself in retrospect and think, you know, that was that was me kind of I could have been my dad there. That was me kind of turning into my dad and, and it horrified him. And I think you saw that again last night. He, he, you know, he looked at this guy protecting a child and like listened to himself for a second and was like, fuck. Like, this is who I'm turning into. And he didn't, he like stopped and pulled it back. But the thing about that that broke my heart, aside from the fact that it happened, and you know, you can kind of tell what's going through his head, is that you know that he's not going to pull himself back from that. At least I don't think so. That was, that was a, that wasn't so much a, oh shit, I'm, I'm becoming this thing. I better stop and, and go in the, go in the, go in another direction. That wasn't like that, which we've seen before. That was like an, oh, shit, I'm becoming this thing. Well, I I guess I'm becoming this thing kind of moment. Like, I I don't expect to for that. I don't expect that to be turnaround moment for him. You know, I just think it's going to be another source of guilt and depression. Um, But, you know, then, then we do see him holding Judith again. And I I, I think that maybe we can interpret that as kind of a moment where he's, he is trying to pull himself back up just a little bit. Uh, I don't expect that to work very well, but yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, again, we didn't really see enough of that last night. I I also don't think that the episode was written in such a way to allow for that, but it, it was a little moment that I really enjoyed not least because it was, I mean, it was written really well, it was acted really well, and it really just was, it was, it was one of the things that this show does really, really well when it does it. All right, moving to Tara, I'm really conflicted about Tara. I- on the one hand, I think that it makes sense for her to be going into a really dark place after what happened to Denise. Uh, I, I think it makes sense for her to be feeling a lot of rage and bitterness. I think it makes sense for her to be feeling rage and bitterness in a way that is directed at Dwight because, you know, Dwight's fall. Um, and, and, and Dwight is a savior and she's watched saviors just devastate everything she cares about and loves. But on the other hand, I mean, she, she made that turn so sharply and so dramatically, and I don't think that we saw enough evidence of it right after she came back from Oceanside and found out about Denise. I just don't feel like we saw... I don't feel like we saw enough to justify such a sharp turn in her character in so little time. So, like, on the one hand, I, I like it because I do think that it makes sense and there are some ways in which it works, and also I just love Tara. But I'm also, it's not sitting completely easy with me because I'm not 100% sure that the degree to which it's happening is being justified. And then last night, like, she seemed to do a flip flop awfully quickly and really easily. And yes, Dwight did, you know, walk back into danger to save her and all of them and led the saviors away. And that was clearly a good thing. But Dwight's been, Dwight's been doling out evidence that he's on their side all this time. And it hasn't been evidence as dramatic as it was, you know, at at the end there. But he's still, yeah, I I don't know. It just seemed like a very, very sharp switch. And I'm not 100% sure that that was a good note. I I think that that might have been a little bit of clumsy writing. I'm I'm interested to, I, I really want to see more stuff between, uh, Tara and Daryl regarding Dwight. I, I, I want to see more conflict regarding what they're actually gonna end up doing when, you know, the war's over and they get Dwight again. I, I think that Tara's kind of turned a corner. It'll be interesting to see if she ends up having to kind of restrain Daryl. But yeah, I'm, I'm I just it's not sitting totally easy with me. I don't really know. I'm not against it, you know, I'm willing to see where it goes, but it's not I, I love almost everybody's arc right now. I'm not hundred percent on board with Tara's. A couple quick notes about Carolyn Morgan and Maggie before we jump on to Gabriel and Doctor Carson, which were, you know, that was kind of the core of the episode, and it was my favorite part. I I, I loved that whole that whole plot line. Um, first of all, Maggie, can we just have more of Maggie forever? Can we just have like a spinoff that's just nothing but Maggie? She's so great, and we're not seeing enough of her right now. And I'm especially loving. I mean it's not the most interesting arc, it's it's not the most subtle arc. It's it's you know, in some ways it's it's not hackneyed, but it's it's pretty obvious and kinda of tropey. But, you know, her her trying to decide what kind of leader she's gonna be. She's never been a leader before in the way she is now, and she's becoming a leader in under the under the worst circumstances. Things are being required of her that she's it's not that she's not ready to deliver, but um yeah, she she kind of I'm going to say that I don't think she was prepared because I don't know how anybody ever could be prepared. It's not against, that's not saying anything against Maggie. That's just the nature of people, I think. I don't know who could have been ready to do what she's ending up having to do right now. And she's, she's, you know, pushing through it and she's turning out to be a great leader, but it's not an easy road for her. She's not stepping into this role and being instantly comfortable and doing it instantly well in in every respect. She's struggling. And I'm Loving watching her struggle and especially I'm loving watching her going through this question that I keep yammering on about regarding how we end up treating prisoners in war, which is so important and determines so much about how you wage the rest of the war. So, you know, she's, she's trying to decide, do we keep these people locked up? Do we let them out? Um, You know, you can, you can use prisoners as a source of, you know, easy labor, but you can also, it's, you know, it's, it's good for people to be let out and and give them a chance to walk around and have exercise and, and get some, I mean, they're in the open, so, you know, they're already getting fresh air, but it's, that's something that's, very different from just keeping people locked up uh, the the thing where she gave them the same rations as everybody else that was huge. Don't think that that needs to be explained why that was huge it was huge. And the you know the moment where she's looking at the baby and you know clearly she's thinking about I, I, I mean I, I took that to mean not just she's thinking about the fact that she is pregnant and is going to have a baby and all of the things that means regarding you know kids in the future and everything and the fact that Glenn isn't there. But I, you know, I think she was also looking at the baby and thinking, like, like shit, like um, I have no doctor, and I'm really gonna need one, and I'm already placing enormous physical strain on myself, and I mean, she's doing exactly what Carson said she should not be doing you know, she's being very physically active she's under a tremendous amount of stress, um, she's you know, this is not ideal this is not an ideal situation for a woman going through a difficult pregnancy, and hers is gonna be a very difficult, dangerous pregnancy, and it's yeah, just uh, more Maggie all the time, please. She's so great. Uh, Carolyn Morgan, I, oh, I can't tell you how much I love that. I've loved it since it started. I've loved Carolyn Morgan's relationship since it began. I love how it's completely flipped. And especially I love how it's working out now with this kid between them and how they're both wrestling with what, what this kid means. Um, you know, the, I think a lot of people noticed, I noticed and I think that this was kind of generally noticed, uh, the, the relationship between, and I can't remember the name of the fucking kid, the relationship between the kid and Carl and how, you know, this kid is kind of, this kid is sort of Carl at that moment when he, you know, committed murder, uh, during the fall of the prison and you know this kid, this kid could go Carl's direction or it could go a completely different direction and I, I, I love how they're kind of exploring that and Morgan wrestling with himself too you know Mor- Morgan it's not that Carol's taking one position Carol defending childhood after all of this by the way is just so fucking fascinating that's coming from such a deep place and there's so much going on with it Anyway, uh, it's, it's not that Carol is occupying one position and she's completely solid in that position and she's not moving around or, or questioning herself and Morgan is occupying the other opposite position. That's not what's going on. They're both questioning themselves and they're both questioning each other and they're both not sitting easy in this position in these positions that they've adopted. And of course, Morgan's got to be thinking about his son, you know, because Morgan was in that position position initially, you know, he was, he wasn't just trying to protect his son physically, he was trying to protect his son in terms of protecting his son spiritually and mentally, he was trying to keep them together as a family, and he ended up failing, and I, I have to think that he's looking at this child, and knowing what this child has done, and knowing what this world, what he believes this world does to you in the end, and I have to think that this is, this is making him, this is making him ask himself some really deep questions for, to which there are no easy, good answers. And, you know, the same's got to be true of Carol. The relationship uh, between adults and children on this show, again, I I just, I gotta say, I think it's underexplored. I think that it's underappreciated on the part of most viewers. um, But I, and, you know, certainly, certainly reviewers, but I, I just think it's so cool and so interesting and, and very conscious. It's not accidental. The writers are constantly working with it. They're just, they are not in the place where they can really explore it the way that I think they ideally would. But I love it. I love that it's there. Um, I'm worried about Morgan. I'm continuing to be worried about Morgan. Um, don't think anything it's going to happen to him, but yeah, I'm I'm really, I'm really liking it. And, you know then then there's there's the thing at the very end where morgan is i don't want to necessarily say that morgan is protecting him but morgan's kind of protecting him you know in, in a really terrible way but you know he's he's kind of he's shielding him from what he might do and yeah that was a that was such an interesting little moment uh, oh, oh god also enid oh my god that was just horrible I mean, it was beautiful. It was beautifully written. It was beautifully acted. It was beautifully shot. Um, like I said in, during my live blog, you know, it's Maggie, the fact that it was Maggie who was there. I mean, is there, there everybody on this show has been through loss. Everybody on this show has experienced loss. You know, that's just, it's, it's impossible to even fathom what it's like to go through, through grief and, and bereavement the way they have. But Maggie especially. Uh, has, has lost people over and over and over and over again in the worst ways. And the fact that it was Maggie there with Enid, I think just was, it was sweet and, you know, in a horrible way uh, and important and good again, you know, in, in a horrible way. And my heart breaks for Enid, but, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I guess like, yeah, in a really terrible way, I'm glad that she found out in the way that she did with Maggie right there because, you know, Maggie, Maggie is going through so much, so much is being asked of her, she's so busy, I, she doesn't really have time necessarily to help somebody through grief, but at the same time, you know, to the degree to which she can help Enid, I think she's gonna do that, and yeah, that's, it was, I don't want to say it's upbeat, but it's a thing, and I guess I'm happy about it, yeah, that was, that was another, that was another little moment of, of, a really deep kind of character thing going on, subtle, but there, that I I enjoyed a lot in a very, very sad way. Okay, Gabriel and Carson. Man, uh, Gabriel is a character that historically I have really disliked. Um, You know, he's, God, he's been such a cowardly weasel and he's been irritating too. And, you know, I didn't really like him very much when he showed up and I haven't really liked him very much in the season since then, But ever since he started... I think it was beginning... Was it beginning of season 7? Maybe it was before then. You know, he kind of turned this corner and started... Season 6, I think. You you see it in 6B, especially. He turns this corner and he starts kind of climbing back up and finding himself as, you know, as as a human being again after feeling like he kind of lost his humanity from what he did to his congregation and some of the stuff he's done since then. And... I love him now and I want to protect him at all costs and I don't want anything to happen to him. I do not want him to die. And he's, god, he's just, he's so interesting now. And it's, I don't think it's necessarily, again, it's not necessarily the most creative story decision to have this priest character kind of come back from a bad place and and become this man of faith I don't think that that's necessarily the most creative interesting choice but I think partly because Seth Gilliam is such a great fucking actor um it's it's I really like how it's being done and there's I I love that I loved his relationship with with Dr. Carson I love their scenes together you know kind of the the arguing for faith and arguing against faith and and evidence for there being some kind of sense to everything, and then evidence for everything being senseless, and, you know, this this kind of push and pull between not just two men in two different positions, but between two different views of reality, uh, two different cosmologies. You know, I, I enjoy that. That's the kind of thing I tend to be a sucker for. I always love it. But, but something that I really love about kind of how last night was dealt with, uh, I don't, I would, there are so many things I would love to do, uh, if I ever got Scott Gimple in a bar, you know, um, a a lot of people I know would just scream at him, but I I I would not do that. I mean, I would obviously be like, what the fuck were you doing with Beth? I I would want to know that, but even more than that, I think I would just want to get a bunch of drinks with him and talk about writing. And something that I feel like he's doing, but I don't know if he's doing it intentionally or not, and I would love to ask him about it, is injecting I don't. I don't want to use the term magical realism, because people misuse that term a lot. It actually has a particular political context from a very particular culture, uh, and it's, it doesn't just mean whimsy and strangeness. But it, you know, in, in 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 that kind of that sense of whimsy and strangeness, and little hints of the supernatural at the edges of things, I, I feel like. There's, there's kind of this approach that the writers are taking to a story being told after the logic that governs the human world has broken down. You know, the, the fall of civilization is not just about practical structures and institutions collapsing. It, it's also about, about reality itself taking a different shape because we, when we move through the world, our vision of reality is shaped by the institutions that shape how we behave. It's, you know, when you turn on the tap, you're taking it for granted that water's going to come out. Uh, You you take it for granted that there, you know, your relationship with police might be very fraught, but you are taking it for granted that there are, there is some capacity of domestic policing present, uh, regardless of what that ends up meaning for your own behavior and how you protect yourself. But it's, there there you are making assumptions every day regarding how institutions structure your reality. So when those institutions collapse, your reality changes. The logic that governs your reality changes. And something has happened to this world where you know, straight Enlightenment era rationalism no longer works. And it's not just because, you know, you have dead people walking around. It's there there's more than that. There's these this is kind of I think it kind of has to do with uh, the fact that somebody like Ezekiel exists. There, there's magic is kind of coming back into the world in in a way. The the idea that that something signs and wonders could exist. That there's a there's an element of strangeness in the world that there wasn't before, or that is at least now asserting itself in a way that it couldn't. That that was sort of. Erased during the industrial, during the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, and now that all that stuff is gone, and we kind of have reverted almost to a medieval state in some ways. We're kind of, you know, warlords and, and feudalism is kind of what's going on now. We're magic and witchcraft and, and various kinds of mysticism are now they're meaningful in a way that they weren't before so last night when you know you really do have a series of coincidences that are so consistent and so nutty that they almost don't feel like coincidences anymore i think that the show is suggesting on some level that that's not just a string of coincidences that there is something going on that there is some guiding hand behind everything or there are a series of guiding hands and you know they may be at odds but like that there are there are spirits and things and and there are things that you don't see that you can connect with and if you have faith that has meaning in a way that just doesn't just have to do with you and your relationship with yourself that that faith itself matters this is one of the things that, that, that makes me feel that the narrative wherein Beth survives is very appealing. It's not just that I like her and I want her to live. It's, it's not just that I'm very angry about her, her dying and I want her to not be dead. It's, I swear to God, it's that it's a better story than her just dying. It's a better story. Her appearing to have died and then returning is a better story. It's a better story because it matches what we saw on screen better, and it's a better story because it is very much in line with this idea that the impossible is now possible, that wonders exist, that for better or for worse, magic is now a thing, and magic doesn't necessarily mean goodness, but that there are powers at work in the world that were not necessarily at work before. There's a fantastic element in the idea of somebody like Beth surviving you know, gunshot wound to the head. There, there's an element of the fantastic in that, that I think is really cool and really fits right now with kind of overall what the story's doing. And, and that, that frustrates me about people who, you know, insist that she's really for real dead. It's like they're not, even if I really thought that Beth was dead, I would still feel that that was a better story. That that was a story that made more sense, that that was stronger, that was more powerful, that it was just, it was a better story. And yeah, it's, it's stuff like Last Night that makes me want that story to be the, the right one, because it's just, it all works in a much more satisfying way. So I think that one of the things, this is my very, very long and rambly way of saying that one of the reasons why I like Last Night is because I felt like that there was more going on than just a string of coincidences. And I, I, I loved my, my feelings about what happened to Carson have shifted somewhat between last night and now. At the time, I just thought it was stupid and pointlessly cruel. Uh, I, I really like Carson. I mean, yeah, he's a very secondary character, but I, you know, I like him. He's a, he's a good guy, and Maggie needs a doctor, and you know, and 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 I, I really liked the buddy road trip that he and, and Gabriel had, I wanted them to get home safe, and yeah, I, I I was really upset, but there, the the fact the fact that it was like a moment of Gabriel's, very consistently built up faith over the course of that episode being completely destroyed, you know. Yeah, but, you know, I, kind of, I think that's the implication at the end of that is like Gabriel's just, you know, everything he believed in is kind of dead now again. Um, I, I, I think that's one of the things that makes me think that Carson might not be dead. Now, I, I, know, I know, you know, if, if those of you who are listening to this who are not sympathetic to the notion that Beth might be alive are probably thinking, well, God, is any character allowed to be dead on this show for you? Well, yeah, most characters who die on the show are really dead. But the, the, Carson actually having survived that shot fits what we saw last night better than him not having survived it. Um, to begin with, it was a very abrupt death for, with really no closure at all for a character who is secondary but important, and who that episode was designed to make us like. You know, the writers wanted us to come out of that episode liking Carson, and if, if they just meant to kill him for no reason, I feel like they would not have built him up the way that they did, and, and made him so appealing and likable, and made us really root for him. And then just, you know, bang, he's dead. That just doesn't doesn't really work for me. It it may be what happened. Sometimes these writers do things that are completely like, I think, weird false notes uh, in the middle of other stuff that they're doing. They do a lot of things I don't agree with. Um, You know, I'm, I'm prepared for that. I'm prepared for him to really be dead. But him not being dead works better with what we saw. Him reappearing and kind of reaffirming Gabriel's faith would work better in the future. It really would. It would make what we saw tremendously meaningful, rather than it just being completely meaningless, which it pretty much would be if Carson's dead. Um, there's also, I mean, there's the fact that think about it. If you're not already convinced that this might be might be true, just think about it for a second. Carson's death was kind of one of those deaths, right? We never saw a grave. Of course, we didn't, because the Saviors aren't going to fucking bury him. But we never saw we never saw any kind of closure. We never saw a funeral or anything. There was no indication that there might be. There there was no feeling of closure at the end of that. Yes, we might get closure later on. This happens all the time. But but still, isolated and think of it in terms of tropey TV deaths. There was none of that. We barely saw a body. Like we really didn't get a good look at the body even. And he was. It wasn't clear to me where he was shot, but it didn't necessarily look like it was like right through the heart. I think. It, it. I don't think we got a good look at where he was shot, and I think that potentially he was shot in a survivable place if he got very lucky with where the bullet went, and if it was just straight through and through. If it bounced around, which bullets often do, he might be fucked. But you know, yeah. Uh, we never saw him turn. Uh, we never saw him staggering around as a walker, and. Uh, they, they drove away real quick and you just pretty much saw it through Gabriel's vision and Gabriel's vision's shit and, and yeah it was just it was so weird and abrupt you know it's, it's kind of this thing on TV where if you don't get a good look at a corpse uh, don't assume death it might not be it might really be alive and, and, and shit and you know TV TV writers love to pull shit like this it's it's not even particularly subtle or, or, or elegant it's clumsy they just do it because you know it's what TV writers do. But also, again, Carson surviving would fit with the overall story between him and Gabriel in a way that him just being dead wouldn't. So I'm not saying Carson's definitely alive. I don't. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's really dead. But I'm not 100% sure on him being dead. Um, I, I think that there's a better than average chance that he's actually alive. Again, like, If he is dead, won't be surprised. But I really will not be surprised if he turns up alive. And I hope that he will, because again, I think that's a better story. It also, again, like, I can't help but look at a death like that and, you know, kind of think about Beth again, because Beth's death was kind of one of those deaths. If it was anybody but Beth, and if it was, you know, if if it wasn't like three fucking years ago, yeah, I think that, uh... I think a lot more people would have been suspicious about that death. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that too much, but yeah. Uh, it, it, it was a thing that was kind of going through my mind. I feel very sad for Gabriel. I hope he'll be okay. Um, I, I was, I, just, just like a quick aside regarding Gabriel's, um, eye plot, uh, I'm, I'll be interested to see if the damage to his eyes is permanent. Um, I was potentially really on board for a story about a blind character in the zombie apocalypse. Um, But like one thing I was very uncomfortable with, on the one hand, it made sense for Gabriel to kind of be, you know, displaying uncanny powers because, you know, relationship with God and everything. On the other hand, you know, I, I I don't want them to do the whole, you know, blind person with superpowers or mostly blind person with superpowers thing. And I'm saying this as somebody who has written that trope and not only realized when it was too late to do anything about it that I had written that trope. Uh, it's, it's not that it's necessarily like super ableist, but it's kind of ableist. It's, it's just not a great trope. So yeah, it's, it would be, it would not be by any means the most offensive thing this show has ever done, but I kind of hope they don't do it. Yeah. Whatever. We, we didn't see enough of it last night for me to have a strong opinion either way. It's just something I kind of hope they avoid. Um, I want to, I want to I wanna indulge myself, actually. I just thought I wasn't going to talk about it anymore, but I want to indulge myself one more second and just say one more thing about, you know, Beth and Grady and everything. Um... I have no idea if any of you listening to this are, you know, not already fandom friends of mine. If you're not, you must think I'm kind of crazy. But, I mean, I am, literally. But it's, uh, yeah, it it just, you know, bear with me. Um, the Carson, I think Carson may not be dead, but, but regardless, the idea of yet another doctor dying, I mean, we have Sadiq now, and Sadiq is wonderful and lovely, and I adore him and, and everything about him. But, you know, let's, let's just let's just, for the sake of argument, say that Carson's dead. Or at least that Carson's out of the picture for a while. Uh, So now we have Sadiq. We have Sadiq, and I think, don't we have, we have the doctor from the kingdom is still around. So that's two doctors, but we have three communities. Uh, I mean, I I assume that the, I assume Alexandria is going to get rebuilt. Uh, I assume that they're going to go, everybody, all the kingdom people are going to go back to the kingdom at some point. I'm assuming that at the end of this whole mess, we're going to have three communities again. Three, three primary communities. You also got Ocean Side. You may have some version of of sanctuary still functioning, but but you're going to have three, and we only have at most two doctors, right now. If there's no Carson, if Carson's alive, we have three, uh, and this isn't a problem anymore. But but one of the things that last night made me think of, you know, watching oh yet another doctor potentially dying. They keep fucking killing off their doctors. They've been doing this forever. Um, and and it's it's not even, it's not even new since season five. Uh, They killed off their doctor in season four. Um, Herschel was kind of their doctor for a while. Herschel's dead now. They killed off their other doctor before they killed Herschel. But, but regardless, that's, that's also not a terribly creative problem to introduce in a, in a post-apocalypse story. That's kind of a a thing that always comes up, you know, where where are you getting your doctor from? You got to have somebody with medical training on your team. Where are you getting that person from? Uh, so, so yes, the question of where is your doctor and who is your doctor going to be is, is an important one that a story like this is necessarily going to ask, but they keep fucking killing their doctors or, or getting rid of their doctors or taking their doctors out of commission in other ways. And it, what drives me up the fucking wall is the fact that we have a doctor alive in Atlanta, like as far as we know, Edwards is still breathing and walking around. And it's, it's first of all, it's bizarre that Grady was left standing at all because whenever team family goes through someplace, they always end up, you know, it ends up blown up, burned down, or overrun or, or some combination of all three. Grady was left standing. Just about everybody was left alive and Edwards is alive and Edwards is there and he's a developed character he was, we saw enough of him on our screens for us to have some feeling about him. Some people might dislike him. Some people might like him. I happen to like him a lot, not necessarily because he's a good person, but because I think he's interesting. He, he is a recognizable, developed character. And he's a doctor and he's alive. And they just left him there. And that's fucking weird. Like that in and of itself is, is not like evidence of proof. That's not like proof of life. I don't think we have any proof of life of any kind, but that is so strange. That it's one of the things that I absolutely can't let go. Like I will never be able to let that go. It's so weird. Yes, I have on my deathbed. I'm going to be having questions about a fucking stupid zombie show. I know, shut up. But it, it is as somebody who really likes their stories to make sense as somebody who who likes life in general to make sense even though it's actually making very little sense right now it, it, you know as a whole i i i need i need to understand why this happened and if it was just if it was just a really weird exception to the rules that they usually follow if it was just a a bucking of convention for no apparent reason okay i, I you know that's not very satisfying but i'll accept that But I I would need to hear it from them. Like, I want to know why they did this. It's so fucking strange. There is a doctor out there. Just out there. There's a whole community just kind of out there. And the only other example of that that I can think of right now is Oceanside. And you know we're going to see Oceanside again. Like, Oceanside isn't out there for no reason. Oceanside is out there waiting to do a job. Oceanside will come back into play again. This show doesn't just throw things like that that out there and then never do anything with them. These are all story tools. These are all things that the story creates. These are things that the writers create because they will be used in some capacity. And the, the writers destroy something because they no longer have any use for it. But if something is left standing or alive or functional, it's because it's going to show up again in some capacity. Probably. That- that tends to be how these people operate. So, there's a doctor out there, and he's live. Ugh. I'm sorry, it just- it- it drives me crazy. Drives me absolutely crazy. Keeps me up at night. No, it doesn't, but, uh, when I can't sleep anyway, uh, it's- it's one of the things that might run through my head. Yeah. Okay, I think that's everything I wanted to cover for this week. Um... Don't really have any opinions about anything that we saw for next week. I didn't watch, I never watched The Talking Dead, so I never, uh, you know, never see the previews that they show there, because I don't really care. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, again, because it looks like we're kind of going to be picking up on the conversation between Rick and Negan again. We're kind of going to be getting back into that debate between the two of them, and yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here for that. I don't like Negan very much, but I do like that part of Negan. I, I like that. I like that tension between him and Rick, and I'm, I'm here for seeing more of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, quick plug before I go. If you really enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy it at all, not even just really. Uh, please go take a look at patreon.com slash dynamic symmetry uh, maybe give me a buck or two a month i have rewards uh that i will be offering um i i have not posted this month's fiction yet but i'm going to be doing at least one of those months fiction things in the next couple days uh i've been trying to blog more about my writing i just started writing a novel which i'm so fucking excited about. I can't tell you how long it's been since I've been excited about a novel that I was writing. Uh, so I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the process of uh, writing that and kind of doing the world building, which has been kind of an interesting process. i um, going to kind of be talking more about a lot of stuff, I think, hopefully on my writing blog there. And there's, you know, got other stuff going on in terms of rewards. And yeah, just just go, go check it out, see if you like any of it. And if you do and you want to support me in the work that I'm doing, a couple bucks a month, you know, it adds up is great patreon.com slash dynamic symmetry thank you so much for listening uh it means a huge amount to me uh those of you who listen to this for fic readings uh, expect some more of those i'm probably going to try and do a smaller one shot before i get back into the reading series episodes i'd like to start doing interviews again but i i I don't know what really is going to go on with those i'm getting back into doing the podcast in general not just recaps so yeah uh thank you so much for listening uh your support is so appreciated and I will speak to you next week, bye.